Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome. I am Dan, your friendly fishmonger at dansfish.com. We do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 9 Eastern for those of you who might be mountain challenged. Glad you are taking some time to spend some of your Wednesday evening with us. Thanks for being here. I think we're going to have a good time tonight. We have a giveaway that I'll tell you about. I have some information, a shipping report I've got to get into. Had a couple problems I need to confess to because that's what we do on the shipping report. And uh, keep you updated on, on the uh, Fish Shipping Olympics or Super Bowl. Not quite sure which one is more apropos. <laughs> and we'll get into it. So anyways, thanks for being here, folks. Really appreciate it. We're starting off with, there were like 60 people here waiting for it to start. So that's pretty good for us. Thanks for being here. Okay, and let's get to it. So the shipping report is how we're going to start off. Not the best shipping report when we consider that since November 30th, we haven't had any losses to contend with except for what was shaking out with the Kalitawa tank that was uh, having issues. Uh, that started mid-November. So uh, besides that, there are there, no issues for a long time. The last issue was, I think, one Rumino's Tetra on November 30th. So we had a pretty good run and we shipped a ton of fish over the last little while. However, since I talked to you last Wednesday, we did have one major issue and one small issue. The major issue is that one of the boxes of fish we sent got delayed, which usually is not a problem. We, we pack in case things are delayed. So we use heat packs that will burn for a lot longer than the transit time, right? If the box gets delayed a day or two, they should still be okay because the heat packs are big and will burn long enough. However, this box went to somewhere really cold and instead of it being uh, stored in the normal UPS warehouse where you would expect, my suspicion is that it ended up on a truck trailer outside and spent the entirety of the delay out there because when it arrived to the customer, it was an order of 24 fish and when it arrived to the customer, it was what, 50 degrees, 55 degrees, something like that. I think 55 degrees if I remember right. So it was cold. And the only way for a box that we send to get that cold with the insulation and the heat packs and stuff is if it's out somewhere super cold, kind of maybe exposed to the elements. Maybe it wasn't even in a truck for part of that time. Maybe the wind was whipping around it. I don't know. But that's my suspicion of what must have happened. So that customer ended up, uh, six of the fish were arrived dead because they were too cold and six of them passed on later so that's like half the order out of 25 that's 12. so i just want to take a moment to apologize to that customer i can't think of anything we could have done to prevent that i think we pack as well as is possible but for some reason even with delays there's very few problems for some reason this one was just on that far far edge of the bell curve statistically where there was a perfect storm and it went badly. So I'm sorry to that customer. They know who they are. And if they want to say, hey, that was me, that's fine. I just, I don't know if they want that or not. So I'm not going to say their name, but they know who they are. And uh, yeah, that, that's just a big bummer. The other problem we had is um, we there were a couple of orders that arrived, I think just today, maybe one arrived yesterday, anyway, recently. And lost a couple pygmy quarries 
So what we've done is we're going to, if multiple customers have a problem with fish we're sending from one aquarium, the odds are that maybe there's something brewing in that aquarium. Maybe it's not manifesting yet. Maybe we can't see with our eyes yet, but maybe it's in the fish. And when we ship it, just that little extra stress of being shipped is enough that it, it takes hold. Just like you develop a cough, I don't know, you know, during finals week or when you go on a business trip or whatever, right? It's just that little bit of stress, you know, makes you succumb to what's brewing in you. So what we've done to curb that is uh, we'll start sending those from a different aquarium. And odds are that that, that won't be an issue from that aquarium. So... We, when, these, when these reports come in, we do have ways we can curtail the problem and, and fix it. But I, I do want to say if anyone out there did lose any pygmy quarries over the last couple weeks or so that we sent out and uh, has not yet reported it to us, the more data points we get of problems, the better we can resolve the problem. The, the, more, the better equipped we are to find a, a, a real solution. So. If, if you don't mind, you can leave a comment here saying, yeah, I had some problems with mine too. Or you can send us an email if you don't want to do it publicly. Hello at dancefish.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. We're, uh, sorry, my lips are dry. We're good either way. Um, basically, we look at you guys, our customers, and folks that order fish from us as partners in our effort to be successful it, you know, ultimate, the ultimate goal is never lose a fish that we send to a customer, right? That's where we want to be. And uh, we look at you guys as partners in that. So we don't mind discussing this openly. We're not trying to hide this or anything. So we appreciate all that kind of feedback. Now we like the positive feedback as well. We, uh, there was a review that was posted, I think yesterday or the day before, Maybe it was today. It's all a fog. It's been, it's the fish shipping Olympics kicks your butt and your brain. But um, recently that said, hey, I've been keeping fish for 40 years. And let me tell you about this good experience I'm having with you guys. It, that's awesome. When someone that's been around the block that long and kind of knows the scene, recognizes the difference that, that we're making, that is what motivates us. I can go to the team and say, hey guys, you got to stop what you're doing. Let me share this review with you. And it makes the uh, long hours of the fish shipping Olympics and the stress and everything worth it. So we, we like both of them, but we definitely want to hear what's going bad so we can fix it. I, I don't ever want to have a false sense that everything's good when it isn't. Um, yeah, so that's the shipping report. So that puts our percentage for the last 11 and a half months-ish, we started uh, calculating this in this way on February 1st of 2020. We're now at 99.03% success with fish shipping arriving alive and arriving in good enough shape that they didn't you know, die later because of shipping issues, as reported by our customers. So we're still better than 99% of the fish we ship are doing well for our customers. And that's great. That's where we want to be. Less than 1% problem sounds about right to me. And you know what? I think it's a testament to my team. They are awesome. They see the vision. They work hard to accomplish it. No one's clocking in 
just because it's a job, I guess I'd better go. Everyone's clocking in and saying like, okay, how can we give these fishies the best chance, right? And uh, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, so it's basically a testament to the team and their, their, their focus on that mission and all the extra things that they do to make it possible. So I wanna thank them. If any of you guys are watching, thank you. Uh, love you, appreciate you. You're the best team a guy could ever hope for, so thanks. Um, all right. I think next, oh, couple super chats here from Xanadudu. I love you and your whole team, Dan, but this is a specific call out for Johnny and his above and beyond efforts this week. And this is one for Brenda. Every one of her songs has made me cry in a very good way. She's awesome, as are you all. Xanadudu, thank you so much for the generous super chats. Much appreciated, never required, but it does make Brenda, my wife, super happy when money falls out of the sky and lands in our laps. So thank you so much. And uh, for those who are wondering what does Brenda have to do with this, at the end of this stream, I head over to my wife's YouTube channel I'll post a link for it a little later where she she's a performer so she'll uh, she'll sing a song for us and this time it's Edelweiss from The Sound of Music her favorite musical of all time so anyways thanks Xanadudu and and thank you for your patience as we worked uh, through some things with you this week I really appreciate you know your approach to things you know together we'll make everything better um, Okay, so let's get to the giveaway. The giveaway for tonight is one of my favorite fish, and I know I say this every week, and it's true, though. There's so many fish that are my favorites, and the reason is I have the best job in the world. Every day, I get to walk around this massive fish warehouse and look at all these fish, and I'll fall in love all over again with the species because it will be, for some reason, particularly fired up that day. Maybe there's a group of them that are about to spawn and they're all displaying and totally fired up. <laughs> they're hormonal, basically. And just the colors and the, the, the mating dances and the display I get to see every day is, is so great. So this week, what caught my eye was sparkling garamis. That's our giveaway. Pardon me, been a long day. Um, and they're a great little garami. If you don't know these guys, they're also called pygmy garamis. Um, I love it when you bring up a, uh, a search and dance fishes like in the second row. That's awesome. That's our picture um, that we took right here of one of the garamis, maybe even from the batch we're gonna send or maybe one of the previous batches. I can't remember how old that picture is, but they're, they're beautiful little fish. And they're easy to care for. They'll eat flakes. We drop in a big pellet. They'll all kind of gang up on it and pick it apart. They like frozen foods and live foods. If you feed them baby brine shrimp, they will be your best friend forever. But not a difficult fish to care for in our experience. Quite peaceful and really sparkling. They're like a glitter bomb. They're a fish that, they're, the, they're a glitter bomb incarnate in the form of a fish. They don't get very big at all, around an inch, maybe not even 
Yeah, maybe, yeah, around an inch, give or take a bit, depending on the sex and how old it is and all that. Um, fish grow throughout their lives. So from what I understand, and this is kind of anecdotal, I can't remember reading a study on this, but from what I understand, fish grow throughout their lives. So even little nanofish, if they get old enough, they can get a little bigger than you might expect because they continue to grow. They grow more slowly, but they continue to grow. Anyway, around an inch, give or take. And because they remind me of a glitter bomb, if you would like to enter to win some of these sparkling garamis, enter hashtag glitter bomb in the chat. That's hashtag G-L-I-T-T-E-R-B-O-M-B, no spaces, caps don't matter, in the chat. And you'll be entered to win uh, some of these little sparkling garamis that are looking so good right now. All right, so let me tell you about the Fish Shipping Olympics, or better yet, let me show you. So today, I went around with the camera and kind of recorded the day. What, what is the Fish Shipping Olympics like? What is it like to be uh, working here for a day? And uh, I sent that off to uh, Not Stefan earlier today. So hopefully in a few days, not only will we be able to tell you about it, but you'll be able to kind of see it as well. And Basically, everyone's coming in early so that we can meet the UPS deadlines. We have to have everything up to UPS by about five o'clock, maybe a little later, but we don't wanna push it because the airplane leaves at six and all those little fishies have to get over and get put on the airplane to, uh, to fly out to you by six. And we don't wanna push that too far, but we don't wanna get there too early because we wanna keep them here where they're nicely temperature controlled all that and all that so they don't have that big of a window just sitting around up at UPS at the warehouse. So to meet that deadline when there's a lot of fish to ship means we have to come in early. So nobody's getting a lot of sleep. We're all very tired, but there's a lot of laughs. Luckily, most of the folks that work here, probably all the folks that work here, when we get tired, we don't necessarily get angry. Everyone gets a little bit cranky when they're tired for sure, but we get punchy. So the filters kind of go away and the humor flies and there are so many dumb jokes it is delightful <laughs> so that's most of what the fish shipping olympics is show up late or show up early i mean work long days be tired and just be a little you know a little punchy so anyway we'll show you what that whole thing's like random arm says hmm, i think these ones are from an import about six months ago we got a ton in that import uh, it might be we might have got one since, since then. I really can't remember. But, but yes, we brought in, I don't know, I don't know how many, several hundreds uh, quite a while ago. And I can't remember if we ran out and re-upped or if these are still the same group or not. But they're definitely adults for sure. Alex Repco thrown down $4.99. Thank you so much. For a new glass beer mug to drink your beverage from. You, you don't like the uh, the poorly labeled uh, <laughs> vacuum sealed thermos, huh? <laughs> Thank you so much for the super chat, Alex. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for all that you've done for us uh, behind the scenes. We appreciate it. So I think that's, I think that's pretty much it. Um, oh, there is one other thing I wanted to talk about. Um, I was... I'm saying um again. Bad damn. I was watching Bob Steenfot's 
live stream from Steam Fought Aquatics on Monday, I think it was. I was watching the, the replay. And Bob mentioned having trouble with Corydoras and lots of other places he's talked to having troubles too. And so I wanted to talk about that. And our experience here, that's absolutely the case that there's problems with Corydoras. But it's not just Corydoras, it's fish in general. But, you know, it moves groups of fish. Sometimes this fish has problems, sometimes a different group has problems. But what I've found is that it's a supply chain issue. I'm not sure exactly what it is. I don't know if they have a virus. I don't know if they have some kind of mycobacterium. I don't know exactly what the exact cause is. But I know it's a general supply chain issue because I've tried buying corridors from multiple sources. Um, what I've found over the years is there is one source that I can buy them from reliably and they won't have this problem. And the problem is that they just gradually and slowly die off. So there's no symptoms, no nothing, just one, one's dead. And then a few days later or a week later, maybe another one's dead or however long it takes, but they never fully stabilize. Obviously, there's some kind of low-grade thing going on there that every now and then gets the upper hand on one or two of those fish and they succumb to it. I don't know what it is, but I do know it's general in the supply chain and that's why we generally only buy our Corydoras from one breeder because they do a good job and we have not had that issue with their fish. Now we also buy from hobbyist breeders, that's pretty safe, but, but I'm talking about industry suppliers. We've tried all different countries, we've tried importing wild ones, we've tried importing um, from farms from many different areas and I, there's one that I've had success with for a few years that they've consistently been good. So it's not the fish I don't think, it's not probably the aquarist, it's something that they get that fish from that part of the supply chain just seem to succumb with. And there's other fish like this too, it's taken quite a while and uh, to, to figure out which suppliers have the fish that last long term and which ones don't. Is it that the farms themselves have some kind of pathogen that when they box the fish up and send them to us, they're just in the fish? Or is it treatment along the supply chain from certain suppliers that maybe they get exposed to amounts of ammonia that just do some permanent damage that takes a while to to fully manifest or some other toxin or chemical yeah i don't know i don't know if it's a pathogen or a toxin or or what it is but it sure does happen in quarries we've experienced that for sure and when bob was here several months ago we were having that issue because we had tried two new suppliers every now and then i try a new supplier just to see uh, one was from Colombia and one was from Brazil, and unfortunately they, they had the same problems as the rest of the normal supply chain suppliers. We literally have two batches of quarries right now that we brought here to the fish warehouse from the old facility back at my place in June maybe, and we had them for quite a while before that, and they're still not stable. 
I, we still haven't been able to sell them just because of this issue. Usually, with enough time and tender loving care, we can stabilize them enough that the issue kind of goes away. But every now and then we run into a batch that we're talking, I've probably had those fish, it might be nine months that we've been working with those fish trying to get them stable. Uh, two different species of quarries. Still aren't stable, haven't been able to sell them. And still working on it, I don't know. <laughs> so it is a real thing and I don't think that there's this perpetual question we have right when a fish dies because usually we don't know what it is and I would say if you are an experienced enough aquarist to know that your parameters are good you know how to maintain an ecosystem which is what an aquarium is if you get fish and they they die on you it's generally stressed from the supply chain. The supply chain is not gentle, it's not good, and it needs to be changed. So that's just my thoughts on that. I was, I've been thinking about it a lot, and um, and thought I'd add my two cents, because it's probably baffling as an aquarist to get all these different fish from all these different suppliers, and uh, be like, can I just not keep fish? What am I doing wrong? Maybe you're doing nothing wrong. Oh, there is one other issue that we had that I want to bring up. It wasn't, it's not a death and I don't think, it didn't arrive DOA and I don't think it's dead. I think the fish is alive, but we sold some Corridor's con color, uh, several actually, thanks to, thanks to everyone that bought them. And I, those are from a new supplier. So we're trying a new supplier. They're, they're great. The fish we got from this person are doing fantastic. We've had them a long time, so we sold them. But because they're a new supplier, before I sold them, I checked them very carefully. I personally pulled those fish, and I got them in the net, and I got my hand in there, and I held each one up, and I checked its belly, and I checked its gills, and I did all that just because this is a new supplier, and I want to double-check that the fish are good. Well, apparently in the process of doing that, I, without knowing it, you know, King Kong fingered one of these quarries and damaged its its mouth. Didn't know it, um, but I, I must have done that when I was... Sometimes when you do things... <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to treat these fish extra special, right? Sometimes when you do the extra special thing, you actually end up actually causing damage inadvertently. But with all that handling and stuff, I, I did damage one, unfortunately. We didn't know it on our end. It didn't manifest until it arrived to the customer's house. But I do want to apologize to that customer as well. And do a mea culpa because I'm pretty sure that was me because I was being extra careful with it, with that whole batch. But the good news is all the other ones are doing fine. It was obviously an issue of trauma, not disease. And, you know, probably points to me is the trauma. Got, you know, basically it's a little fish and we're like King Kong, right? We're, we're trying to handle this mouse. If King Kong was petting a cat, it's that kind of scenario. Gentle as he might be, every now and then, it doesn't happen often at all, but every now and then something's going to go sideways, right? But that supplier's fish are doing well enough that I've ordered more. I'm going to try some more, and specifically quarries, because they have some quarries that are really hard to find. They're not hard to find. They have some quarries that are hard to find 
if you only buy your fish from suppliers that do a good job. They're, they're out there, but, but we don't want to buy from those suppliers generally. So I'm trying again. This will be the second order with that supplier. If these do well, then maybe we'll try a few more species. And this is kind of how we test out new suppliers, right? We get a few. Did they do well? Hey, they're doing great. Don't see any problems. They pack them right. It looks like these people respect fish. Great. Do they do well for our customers? Yeah, it seems they're doing well for our customers. Okay, let's try some more. Let's try some different species. If that continues, then we gradually order up until we have confidence in that supplier, and then we, we post some pretty big orders. So we're in that process now. If anyone is having any problems with the um, Corridor's con color, please do let me know because that feedback will help us decide how we proceed with this supplier. Hmm. I'm extra thirsty today. Oh, Dudu, I did want to thank you because we did, it was crazy busy this week and today, and so we did use the Super Chat money that you gave us for snacks and bought everyone pizza for lunch. So thank you so much for that. I know that's what you intended it to be. I told you that's what we'd use it for, and I just want to confirm that we did. So today, everybody here, the crew had a, a pizza for lunch on you. So thanks. Kelly Foreman, way to go, Fish Olympians! Yes! <laughs> Unfortunately, the Fish Olympics doesn't make you more physically fit. <laughs> it just makes you tired, grumpy, and punchy. <laughs> Peplin Creek Aquatics, Aves and Toothpick Fish coming tomorrow. Thanks to Fishy and Tanktix and Eric Wyrock. Love you guys. All right. I'm glad you're getting those. Those Toothpick Fish are just, there's nothing quite like them. Take a seahorse or a pipefish and just shrink it down to itty bitty. And the Aves Creek, I believe those are ones I pulled myself. So if there's any problems with those, that's my fault. I hope they do well for you. Let us know, Peplin Creek. And Thick Fish, great username. The only live feed to watch. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> We're a very select taste for a very select group of people, but I'm glad you're one of them. Clearly, Thick Fish is a person of of refined taste. <laughs> All right, with that, I've been banging on for 26 minutes. So let's get to your questions and comments. Before we do though, I wanna take a moment like always and thank my moderators. I, I think you guys are tremendous. Thanks for being here and doing what you do. I also want to thank uh, the members. Everyone that's a member, that's support is, is, means the world to us. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your memberships. And anyone that wants some merch, this is the shirt of this week. It comes in different colors, but this is the lemon yellow version. And if you're interested in any of our merch, let me show you how to type it. Go here to my channel. I tried to make this really easy. So if you go to the Dance Fish channel and click over and click store, you'll see quite a bit of merch. Now, they only show one color of all the different options, but if you click that, It'll bring you to a space where you can see some different colors and things, different designs. And one of these shirts is the yellow one. I thought it was this one, which is why I clicked on it. Oh, it is. Lemon yellow, comfort tea. I don't know why I like the yellow one. I guess it's just because it looks so happy. But thanks to Bex for designing such a, what I think is pretty cool merch for us. We appreciate that. 
Okay, business is out of the way. So now let's get to your questions and comments. Wow, Mark Sturlson, business is not out of the way, just gifted five memberships. Mark, thank you so much. That's one of the best ways to support that and just telling your friends this is a place where if you buy fish, they're probably gonna live. You know, <laughs> that's helpful too. But the reason memberships that are gifted is so great is because, you know, a good portion of those will will resubscribe every month and it, it builds up into some recurring revenue, which any young struggling startup business can't get enough recurring revenue. It's so helpful. So thank you so much, Mark. That's a massive help to our effort and we appreciate it. Okay, now business is done. Let's get to your questions and comments. Uh-oh, did chat freeze on me? Nope, I can at least scroll. Okay. Dave Jones, any blue phantom plecos coming in? I have not. Um, I'm very reticent to bring in wild plecos. There's one supplier that does a good job, but they only have a couple species and they don't include the blue phantom plecos. In my experience, the aquarium bred and raised plecos just do so much better. You don't have the parasite problems and all the other things that that make the wild type pleco, the wild collected plecos uh, difficult. So I don't have a breeder for blue phantoms yet that I'm aware of. I'd have to check a list, but I don't think I've ever seen them on that list. I have a breeder that breeds lots of plecos and does a great job. I don't think they have any of those. Uh, that's not Baryoncistris. What is that? It's not Hypencistris. Is it Hemiencistris? I don't remember the genus, but I haven't seen that one. If I do see it, though, from a Saurus that, that I think is worth a gamble, or from a Saurus I already trust, then maybe I'll try them, because I do like the blues and I do like the green phantoms a lot. Del Cantrell, happily watching you while I set up my new fish room. That's awesome. Hope to have some rainbow fish in your hands in a few months. Yeah, Del, breed the rainbows, please. <laughs> please. Rainbow fish, killifish, wild type bettas. Rainbow fish, great. Killifish, anyone that's breeding and raising killifish in quantity, we would love to have a supplier for those. Jermur, hi, I have asked this before and time has now passed. What is your favorite fish you have housed post warehouse? It changes all the time. It's so difficult to answer because it literally does change all the time. I'll be walking down an aisle and I'll see a fish that just looks amazing and is doing some interesting behavior. Or maybe I've never seen a fish look do quite that thing before. And it draws me in and I'm like, that is my favorite fish. And then a couple days go by and I'll see a different fish, completely different type. The first one could have been, I don't know, a tetra. And the second, a few days later, I might see a cichlid doing a thing that I'm like, oh man, that's amazing. And it draws me in and that's my favorite fish. And that just happens all the time. But my favorite fish of all time both before the warehouse and post warehouse is Fundalopanchax gardneri. I love killifish. I always will. They're my first love. And uh, yeah, I, I was so young. I wasn't even interested in, in girls yet. So they truly are my first love. <laughs> Kill
killifish. I love them. I've been keeping fish for a long time, so I was just a, I was just a, a wee lad when I started. The Fish Guy 5 does hovering zebra loach, do hovering zebra loaches, sorry, the professor in me is taking the red pen to the, to the sentence, <laughs> do hovering zebra loaches actually hover? Yeah. In fact, I recorded a short today of them. Well, I recorded it a while ago. I, I cut down a short today of them that I will uh, I'll post in the next few days and you can see them, their activity, how they act when they're feeding. But yeah, they do. They kind of go like this. And then they wait and hover and then they go. And then they wait and they hover. and then zip. They're, they're kind of quick. They're kind of like hummingbirds. Zip, hover, zip, hover. Now, they'll also sit on the ground and stuff like a loach, but they do have a fairly distinct... Uh, movement pattern, and I think hovering loach is a is an apropos name for them. There are 279 folks here watching. Thanks for being here, folks. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment, share this out to all your exes so we can get more people in here and have a lively discussion. That would be appreciated. Misfit Reptiles and Aquatics. I'm beyond excited for the last of the Blue Cochus. Um, is there any chance you'll be getting more of the Kochus? I do like Kochus a lot. We had a funny experience with them. So, sorry, for those that were listening to the podcast, I just had to take a minute and put a lip balm on. My lips are kind of dry. So the first couple batches of blue Kochu Chetras Chet <laughs> that we got sold fairly quickly. First two, three batches or so. This last batch is, is sold very slowly. So what I take from that is that our customer base is saturated and almost everyone that's in our customer base that wants Blue Kochu Tetras has got them. So sales slowed quite a bit because of that. So will I be getting more? Yes, but it's not gonna be for a while. Once your customer base is saturated, it doesn't make any sense to just go and buy more of that right away you need to wait a little while and then then maybe enough people want it that you can bring it in and it makes makes business sense to bring it in again so it, i will bring more in i like that fish they're hardy they, they really are blue and they're beautiful little tetra but you know gotta wait until the uh customer base is not super saturated fish fam link thanks to dance fish for caring so much about the fish you're welcome um Thanks for helping everyone that's here, everyone that supports us in any way, spreading the word, posting links where people can find us. Uh, whatever you're doing, uh, thank you. Thanks for helping make it possible. And we do care about the fish, but so do you guys. And I think without you guys spreading the word and helping out, I'd, I think we would have been out of business a long time ago. So thank you. Chu saying hi, right back at you. Hello. Okay, chat's gonna jump. Yep, there it goes. I knew it. I saw it coming. I mean, I'm so far behind. I was still at Xanadu's uh, super chat. So, <laughs> Lady Diane, oh my, I have no trouble with my orange vents from Dan Fish. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And we don't either because we get those from Rick May. Rick is a great fish breeder. Uh, just, just down one state down from us, <laughs> and. Uh, breed some amazing fish so yeah we don't have trouble with those either because rick's awesome a train oh wait 
that's a conversation with Johnny, so I'll skip on to Alex Repco. Did my panacories do okay for you? Yes, Alex. All your fish did great for us. And if you have any more available, we'd love to buy them. Like the best, we found that the best place to buy fish is from hobbyists. They're, they care about their fish. They bred and raised them, so they, you know, they're their babies. <laughs> you know, they're not a commodity. They're a baby. The industry tends to treat fish as commodities. Hobbyists treat them as babies, and babies get better care. The only thing, and I'm not saying this in, uh, about Alex or anything, but the, the major learning curve for hobbyists is usually how to ship. But once you take the, you know, the special care they take of their babies and marry it to, okay, now I know how to ship fish. Sometimes it can take a little while to learn that, a little trial and error. But once they learn that, then hobbyists become the best place to source fish. They just do it much better. So Alex, the Pandacories did great, and uh, I would love to get more. They're fantastic. Luis Malave. Hello, or maybe it's Malave. I'm going with Malave. My pH is 8, where my rainbow fish thrive in a planted aquarium using Eco Complete. I'm starting a new tank and I want to use Fluval Stratum. Any advice? I can't advise you, Luis, because um, I've never used any of those, like, you know, nutrient rich stratums. I substrates. So I've never used Eco Complete. I've never used Fluval Stratum. The craziest I've got is mixing a little bit of, is it fluorite? That red kind of mineral rich rock in with some gravel in a pot to plant some vallisneria and some stem plants in it. That's, that's the craziest I've ever got. So I can't guide you, but there's a lot of folks here that have used planted substrates or expanded clay substrates for plants, whatever you want to call it. And uh, folks, if you wouldn't mind chiming in and helping uh, Lewis out, I'd appreciate it because I can't help you. What I would say, though, about your pH is your pH of 8, rainbow fish will do great in that. Uh, they don't really mind. I've also kept them in very soft water with low pH, didn't have a problem. And if you look at the water parameter readings that the collectors take of the rainbow fish, they come from wide varieties of water parameters. They're generally pretty hardy. They want clean, stable water, but the pH, uh, I think you'll normally be fine. Matt, I got some Borneo suckers from you and they're thriving. Unfortunately, I tried another su su supplier and they have quickly died one by one. How do you bring Borneo suckers up to snuff? It depends. S uh, if we get them from, it really comes down to supply chain. There's certain suppliers that do a good job. They, they, they care about the fish, they treat them with respect, and they do right by the fish. And when we get them, almost all the time they're in good shape. So that's, that's key number one. Uh, know your supply chain. It's really important. Number two is if there's an issue, we just take time. So we did once have a group of Borneo suckers that we nursed, um, geez, I don't remember the exact amount of time, but easily three months before we sold them because they had had a rough trip. They came in and it was obvious to us that adding more stress to them at that time would not be good. That might be enough to tip them over the edge. So really what we do with all our fish is it's just time. 
we don't sell any fish until the batch is stabilized. And that might be two weeks. Well, I mean, sometimes the batch is stable from day one, but we still give everyone at least two weeks, or it might be a few months, but time is the key. It's like if you came down with an illness, when should you go back to work? Well, maybe you'll feel better tomorrow, but maybe you won't feel better for several weeks. It just takes as long as it takes for you to heal up to get back on that horse, right? It's the same with fish. Um, everyone's individual and each group of fish that comes in has a different experience in transit. And so based on what that was, we have to adjust and time is the main thing I'll say. Flipping fish is never good. Fish come in, they're stressed. If you immediately sell that fish, and this is the general industry model, that I swear, I swear that this is true. The industry in general wants to sell the fish as quickly as possible at every level of the supply chain so that they get rid of it before it dies on them. That's the goal. Fish come in, we got to get these out, get them out, get them out because we got to sell them before we have problems, right? Well, if you can imagine a fish that's gone through four or five or seven different hands as it moves down the supply chain and everyone's pushing it down, hoping that they get rid of it before they have a problem, then by the time it gets to the end consumer, it, the odds are it's not going to be in good shape because it's never had time to recover from that stress and the, um, and the harm that that stress has done to its immune system. So time is key. Just give them time to chill out, give them time to recover, and then sell them. That's really the key. Anyone that's starting, thinking of starting a fish store or anything like that, I beg of you to consider a business model that allows you to take the time. Uh, it'll result in a lot less fish suffering. It'll result in a more humane industry, a kinder, gentler industry. And it will also prevent animal rights activist groups from having the ammunition they need to shut us down. If we're abusing fish, then we're giving them all the ammo they need. And if we do get shut down because they put enough pressure on government officials, then we deserve it. Like we didn't do a good job. That's the consequence. For our longevity, what we have to do as an industry is treat the fish with respect and in a way that the reality is that the fisher have it pretty good. And in that case, there's no impetus to shut us down. There's no reason that your average person would agree with to shut us down. There's, you know, fundamentalism and dogma and, you know, other things. I, I'm not going to get political here, but, you know, there's identity reasons and all that to shut someone down. But there's no, like, reason that your average person would be like, oh, yeah, we have to shut that down because that's just making animals suffer in a big way. If we don't make animals suffer in a big way, then we are not in danger of getting shut down. But if if you look at our ethos and morals and our um, general acceptance of what's of how it's okay to treat an animal since the 1950s, say, 
it's going in a specific direction. And the ethos is cruelty is not tolerated, animal abuse is not tolerated, making animals suffer is not tolerated, uh, putting animals in situations where a high percentage of them might die or get ill is not tolerated, right? That's just where the mindset is gone. So the fish industry has a choice. Operate in a way that the current mindset can't have a problem with you because you're doing things according to the modern ethos, to, to what's expected morally or ethically of how you treat your animals, or have an uprising that forces the government to say, oh, we can't do this anymore, you're shut down, right? Long term, I think that's where things go. So what got me on that rant? Sorry for the rant, folks, but it's a topic that I'm passionate about uh, because I really do think that if the industry doesn't change and become more respectful of the animals and kinder and gentler, that eventually, I don't know when the day would come, but eventually there'll be a day when we don't have a hobby anymore because it's straight up illegal to do it. So anyway, that's my thought. <laughs> I don't want to spark that, but I think about that a lot. So, yeah. On to happier things. Hey, Trey, and I have a specific problem with Corys, Paleotis, and Aeneas. They don't all drop dead at once, but every month or two I lose one. It's strange, and I don't know if I messed up or what. Yeah, probably supply chain thing. Although I will say, if you don't know how old they were when you got them, it could be natural, like, aging out as well. But this is the problem generally with Corys. And almost all... The same major suppliers supply most of the industry. Even if a pet store, you go to one pet store and they use one wholesaler, and you go to a different pet store and they use a different wholesaler, the odds are that those wholesalers are getting their fish from the same sources. If you go far enough up the chain, there's a lot of, oops, there's just only a few sources for those fish. So, That's, that's a lot of what the issue is, is if there's a problem with a group of fish high enough in the supply chain, then far down, we're all going to experience it. Now, with Corey specifically, I've had that problem too. I understand what you're talking about. I, I don't know exactly what the cause is, but I know that there are certain suppliers where I get fish from them and I have that experience, and then there's certain ones, and I'm talking about far up the supply chain. Um, buying right from the collector or the breeder themselves or somewhere very close to that where I can buy that same species and I don't have that problem, which makes me conclude it's a supply chain issue. And I'm not talking about one or two occurrences. I'm talking about doing this for years and seeing this over, I don't know how many thousands of fish. So is it anecdotal? Yes, because I don't know the exact cause, but I've observed enough to know that Certain suppliers have that issue with regularity, and other suppliers don't have that issue. So I think it's a supply chain issue. Okay, off the supply chain. Mark gifted two more, no, Mark is a member for two months. I thought it said he gifted two memberships. Mark is a member for two months. Thank you, Mark, and thanks again for the five, uh, giving away the five gifts. Smash the like for the awesome content. Oh, Good, I'm glad that my little rant didn't 
drive everyone away. <laughs> Johnny Densefish. No, we're not King Kong. You're King Kong. Yes. <laughs> Johnny's like, I ain't taking the blame on this one. Fair enough, because I'm the one that pulled them and everything. Um, but Johnny also checked them before we sent them out. Like, right before they went in the box to be sent out, Johnny checked them carefully. Everyone, Mandy checked them carefully. Uh, yeah, we thought those Corridor's con colors were in good shape. And they were, but I King Konged one of them, I think. You had to cancel my Clown Loach Killifish order for sickness. My LFS in Florida is having issues with their supplier also. Are they improving? Yeah, I wouldn't say they're improving. I wouldn't say they're getting worse. I'm happy in one way, though, because... I will try this supplier again. I, I'm not sure what happened, but I don't think it's their fault. Um, I think something here might, must have happened because they came in in great shape. They're in great shape for quite a while, many weeks. And then we go to prepare them for sale and we notice, oh, it's starting to do a little funny thing. Maybe we should hold off. So they're not improving. My experience with clown killifish is that I haven't, I've tried lots of suppliers and haven't found one where I can get fish in that do well. So I tried a new one on this batch. I think they're doing pretty well actually. Um, I've just got to figure out exactly what's going on there and then I'll try from them again. But no, they're not any better. U.S. Scraper. My male Empire Gudgeon is fired up like crazy. Yes! Yes! Oh, isn't that amazing? Like, when you see those guys really fire, suddenly it's like, oh, this is why people like that fish. Yeah, they are spectacular when they really go. Um, where do they like to spawn? PVC, caves, etc.? Yeah, any of those, but also the last batch that I spawned it was a bear tank with a sponge filter? No, just an airstone. Bear tank with an airstone. And they just picked little corners and spawned in the, in the corners of the aquarium. So when those want to spawn, you're not going to stop them. But yeah, I think some PVC, some caves and stuff would be appreciated. Chris Resiker. The blue calico platy pair that I got from you months ago have been dropping fry and the fry are getting huge. Woohoo! Well, good, Chris, because I'm, uh, I'm getting low on that fish and need some more. So if you've got a bunch of fry that are big, I'm in the market. Just saying. If, if you're interested in selling to us, hello at dancefish.com is the email. H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. And uh, we pay 25% of the retail price shipped. Robert Johnson, if I blended up frozen food in a blender, redundant much, <laughs> just giving you a hard time, would six to eight week Bosmani fry be able to eat any of it or would it just pollute the water? I think they would eat some of it, but I think most of it would settle on the bottom before they got to it. Although by six to eight weeks, they might be eating off the bottom, okay? If you don't have coarse gravel where that stuff can fall down and get uh, in between and lost so the fish can't eat it, then it might be worth giving that a try. I would encourage you to view the video on, um, oh, hang on, I gotta look it up. Chase, 
Okay, so I did a video here with Chase Kleinstecker. It's called Getting Schooled. <laughs> he breeds a lot of egg scatterers, and he shows his solution for how to feed flake food to fry. So I'm going to send you the link to that video here in chat. Go ahead and watch that. Basically what he does is he puts really fine flake, he powders it up, puts it in a vial of water, shakes it up, puts the vial down, waits for all the flake to settle to the bottom, and then feeds the milky white stuff in the water column to small fry. And he gets tetras and barbs and other egg scatterers. Um, he raises them up on that. Well, he does other things too, but that's one of the foods he feeds them. So. I don't know if that would work or not. There's no way you can do baby brine shrimp. I'm telling you, it's going to be a game changer if you can. Spinster sister, do you get emotional when you lose fish, either the ones for sale or your pets? I get emotional with some fish. The rest, it bothers me. I wouldn't say that it's emotional, but it's disappointing and it bothers me. There's definitely some fish that we lose and the whole team's kind of bummed out because it's something we were really looking forward to or it's a fish that's a little personable that we had a long time for a long time or whatever or it was just extra cute or that fish was special in some way so that happens but it always bothers us one of the main reasons that, there's two reasons it bothers us one is because most of it's preventable i won't rant about the supply chain again but um a lot of it's preventable. The supply chain needs to be modified and then a lot of this wouldn't happen. The other reason it bothers me is that I wish that there was expertise on hand locally where someone could have a problem, I could phone them up and say like, doctor, I can't figure out what's going on with these fish. Come on by and help me out. And they could come do an exam and tell me, oh, this is the issue. And then we would know how to treat it, or we would know, oh, it's a virus that's not treatable or, or a mycobacterium or whatever it is. We would have an answer. I think the most frustrating thing for me besides the supply chain, on par with the supply chain though, is uh, fish medicine. It's in its infancy. There aren't a lot of fish veterinarians around, so even if you want one to come help you, they might not be able to. Right now, the best I can do is have a veterinarian on retainer that I mail fish to, and they can do an exam, and maybe we send it off to the lab for histology or whatever. And But there's a delay there. So usually when I do that, by the time we finally get the answer back from the lab, the damage is done because it can take a while. So when, we, when we're stuck in a situation where we have a batch of fish that's not doing well, a group of fish that isn't doing well, and we can't figure out the problem, and, and there's no one to help us in any kind of immediate sense of timing, <laughs> that's disappointing, that's frustrating. I'm I'm hopeful that one day we'll be able to hire someone in-house that understands fish uh, pathology and can be on hand and their job will be anytime we bring new fish in, 
look at them, do some exams. Uh, if we get a hundred, I don't know, of a tetra in or whatever it is, pick, pick your fish. Say we bring in a couple hundred cardinal tetras. We do that regularly. They can take one, they can do an exam on it. We can maybe do a necropsy on it, see if there's any internal parasites, uh, figure out, do it, give the, give the fish a once over to get some answers so we know how to treat that batch of fish as opposed to what we do now, which is, well, the most likely thing is probably this from what our experience is. And this is the way we can treat that. Let's try it. Does it work? Yeah, it worked. Hooray. Or shoot, it's not working. Uh, we could try this next thing. This is the next most likely thing. And, and just going down that, that process of elimination, basically to try to find something that will fix the problem. And sometimes you never do. So when you're left without answers, that's frustrating. So the supply chain is frustrating. It's disappointing. The uh, fish medicine just being where it's at in this country, well, in the world, really, in its infancy and not being very available, that's disappointing. And then the other option is if we screwed up, then that's extra. I would say those are the hardest ones. If we screwed up somehow, always inadvertent, but if we did it, and that results in a fish suffering or dying. Um, that's disappointing because that's anti our mission, right? Everything we work for is the opposite of that. So when it does happen, either out of ignorance or just uh, some kind of human error, that's disappointing. But I do think that it should never get to the point where I don't think you have to get emotional about every fish in a situation like I'm in. Uh, how would you drag yourself out of bed every morning, right? Your mental health would be shot. But um, I would say that if you're not disappointed and it doesn't concern you and it's not a little frustrating, no matter what, if at the least it's not some of those things, then, then that's probably a problem. Because then you're seeing the fish as a commodity and not as a living animal that needs respect, right? So, yeah. Alter Ego Aquatics. I just got some baby dolphins. Any experience or advice with them? If you're talking about... Oh, was I buffering? Hang on. Got to check the stream health here. Nope. Says it's excellent. Not just excellent. Excellent. Um, yes. I like mamirids quite a lot. It, it kind of depends on the species you got. Some of the species of mamirids that are sold get massive. Like six feet massive. Like big. Hopefully you got just a little one that's going to stay about four inches or so. My experience with them is keep them in a tank with a lot of cover. What I like to do is choke, I don't know, a quarter of the tank with java moss. So it's just full of java moss. And then under the java moss have some caves, have some pipes. And then outside of the java moss, I'll put like a bunch of PVC pipes, but kind of next to each other. They're pushed together. So the uh, mamirid can go into the pipe or it can squeeze between the pipes if it wants a smaller, more secure space. I've never had mamirids. Is this right? Maybe at some point I got some to eat fiber bites. I can't remember, but I don't think you're going to get them to eat dry foods. You'll probably need to feed live and frozen. Black worms are a good start. They'll eat blood worms. They'll eat brine shrimp. They'll eat frozen mysis shrimp if they're small enough and the fish is big enough. Th those kinds of things. Meaty foods. I think they do much better in groups. They're a fish that communicates through electronic impulse. So 
dolphins and killer whales use sonar, right? They, they put out in bats, that kind of thing. They, they put out sound waves, and when the sound waves bounce back to them, that's how they navigate the world. Lemirids, including baby dolphins, whichever species that might be, use electronic impulses to do the same thing. So they send out these electronic impulses, and that's how they navigate the world. It's how they find prey, and that's how they communicate. And they're very communicative. So I don't think it's good to keep them alone. I think it's best to keep them in decent-sized groups. Because in the wild, what they're doing all the time is sending out these little electronic clicks, if you will. And if they don't hear any back, that's weird for them. That's like red flag. That's like, I don't know, danger Will Robinson, right? So I think that if they're kept alone, they're probably in a constant state of like low-grade stress because they're not hearing the normal response that they would hear, that they expect to hear. So I keep them in groups, I give them lots of hiding places, give them live and frozen foods, and it takes a little while, but they eventually get bold enough that when you lift the lid to feed them, they'll be right there, especially if you have a group of them. Really interesting fish, neat. There's a lot of scientific articles that, and research papers that have been written about them because of their electronic capability. That makes them interesting to folks that study fish and biologists and stuff. So um, you can really dig in deep. I would encourage you to read some primary source material and really get to know those fish. But they're fantastic. Hopefully they're not tank busters. Dilamos, I made it. Yes, you did. Congratulations. Also, your order came in yesterday. They came in great healthy, and the four dwarf red-tailed eels literally ate as soon as they went into the tank. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, I still, as I've said in other live streams, I, I truly believe those are dwarf red-tailed eels. Uh, that, that genus they're from doesn't produce, you know, real monsters. But... I would like to hear from anyone who got them before. We've had them, I think, a year ago or a year and a half ago or some. We, we sold some. Um, I would just like to know if I'm right. I expect them to get around seven inches, give or take a bit. And if anyone has got them from me and is like, dude, mine's 20 inches, I want to know so I don't continue selling them as dwarf red tail deals. But I think they are. And I, I think I've kept the, the non-color intensively bred wild colored counterpart to them, and they got about, you know, about that big. They weren't they weren't massive, you know, seven inches ish. But if anyone is keeping them, got the dwarf red-tailed eels from me, and they're getting big, I need to know that. <laughs> I've never kept them big enough to see how big they truly get. I'm just going off the supplier's uh, word, if you will. So once I can confirm that, I'll feel much better. Xanadu, do. Yellow is very positive to help open up your chakras. All right, yes. It just is happy to me. Yellow's happy. Like when I watch a tank of like tequila sunrise guppies or uh, yellow tuxedo guppies or something like that, it's hard not to be happy. They're just so bright and sunshiny. Or an analog, the aquatic analog to the sun. 
Fluffy Cow Aquatics, what are some fish that you have in the fish room that you would like to get bred locally? Setting up large breeding rack and want to get some ideas of what you'd like to see. Killifish. Aphiosimians, Nothobronchius, Fundalopanchax, Epiplates, Aplicylus, um, various South American annuals would be amazing. But chiefly, Aphiosimians and uh, Fundalopanchax genre would be great. I also love lampeyes, Procatopus and Poropanchax and Congopanchax and Aphiopanchax. There's, there's lots of them. But we're starved for killifish. There are suppliers of killifish out there, commercially in the industry, but they generally only sell males. They will sometimes sell pairs. They're very expensive. And I would say that the success ratio of them coming in and being healthy long-term is less than desirable. So I really want to find some hobbyist bred and raised ones. The price point doesn't make sense either. A lot of these I'd have to sell for like 60 bucks a pair because uh, they, they charge a lot for them, the suppliers do. so. And these aren't hobbyist breeders, these are like industry suppliers, like big industry farms. Killifish is a big one, big, big one. Corridors as well though, a, a lot of species of quarries I would love to be able to supply from hobbyists so that people can get healthy ones. Robert Johnson. Oh, that's the Bosmani fry feeding question. 316 folks are here. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for spending some of your Wednesday evening with us. Really appreciate it. 316 now. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment to share this with all your exes and let people know this is happening. So we can get a bunch of folks here and here. That's it's always awesome for us. The more folks we can get in, it makes the chat lively. Del Cantrell, thoughts on Melanotania, Cali Jacora, and do you have a supplier? I am in in guilty need of them. I don't have a supplier of that fish yet. I've never kept it, so I don't really have any thoughts on it. Although, I'll check with my breeder. They might. They're they're constantly bringing on new species. They're constantly getting new ones that they go collect. Uh, they also source them from folks like uh, Johannes Graf and other folks that go and collect them. So they're, they're getting new supply all the time. Mega Mindy Lou, some of your old videos have been popping up and I've been watching them. Love the reruns. Oh man, some of those are cringe worthy. <laughs> I'm curious, do you still have the big planted tank? Up at the old place, it was so nice. It's still there. There's still water in it. There's still plants in it. No fish. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's in stasis right now, I would say. The plants are still there. They're still alive and all that, but not doing much with it at this time. I'm going to drain it and move it. I just right now don't have anywhere to move it to, and it takes like like six big strong people to move that tank. It's an oceanic, the glass is extra thick, and across the back it has two layers of thick glass so they could plumb in the weirs on each side for the filtration system. That sucker is heavy. That is a heavy tank. Scott Kahala, you are 100% Well, that's good. I'm usually at about 50%. You are 100%. I worked at a wholesale warehouse in my state. 
we got in fish on Monday. 90% were sold out by Friday, no matter how they came in. Yeah, exactly. That's what... It makes sense if you're looking at it strictly from a business model without any long-term vision. It's like, these are going to die. Sell them before they die on me so I can make a profit. But the problem with that is it's a short-term fix. The end consumer is what matters because they're the people that grow the industry. The more aquarists, the more fish you're going to sell. The more fish supplies you're going to sell. The more, the more supplies will be developed because there's more demand and more money in that area. So businesses will put the resources in to developing new products and new solutions to aquarist problems. Like if we have a lot of aquarists in the world, a lot of hobbyists that like keeping fish, you have a robust industry. You have a lot of research and development around it and everything grows and the pie gets bigger for everybody. The problem with that, the, the current industry ethos of I'm going to sell it before it dies on me so I don't lose my shirt, is that the person who ultimately eats that is the end consumer because they get the fish and it's likely to die on them because it's so stressed that its immune system is compromised. I need to do a whole video on this. Um, so what happens if you're new to fish keeping and you try fish and they all die? Maybe you try again and they all die. You're probably not going to try a third time. You might not even try a second time. You're going to stop fish keeping. I hear this from friends all the time when they find out that I'm into fish keeping. Yeah, I used to keep fish, but they all died. That is the standard narrative. Imagine what this industry would be like in the types, the access to neat equipment and solutions to problems we have as Aquarius would be like if decades ago, instead of focusing on the short term, got to sell it before it dies so I don't lose money. Instead of that, we'd, the industry would focus on the end consumer and said, what can we do as an industry and as a supply chain to make it so that the end consumer gets fish that they can be successful with? It'll take more effort, the fish will cost more, but in the end what would have happened is we would have many more aquarists, many more people keeping aquariums than we have now. So the industry would be larger, be more robust, everyone would win. That's what has to happen. It's, we are right now, we are a snake eating our own tail. We're curtailing the growth of our industry and therefore our individual businesses because we're making it difficult for the end consumer, the one that matters, to be successful with fish. So that's got to flip. It's got to be a long-term vision based on whatever we can do to help the end consumer be successful. That's going to grow the industry. Nothing else will. So anyway, I'm with you, Scott. And I've worked, I know, I've, I've worked in lots of levels of this industry. And uh, the whole reason we started Dance Fish was to try to make that change. And hopefully we're getting there. Average guru, <laughs> I couldn't say guru. Average guru enjoyer. I enjoy gurus. How are the Microphysogobio tafangensis? They are my holy grail. Mine too. We have, we might, oh. We might be able to sell some. 
So we couldn't figure out what was going on with those. So we, we had them divided up in three tanks. We tried lots of different shipping options. None of them worked with the rates of success we wanted. So we're like, okay, it makes no sense that none of these shipping packing methods are working. We didn't send them. We just, I think we sent one early on and then the rest we were doing test shipments to see if we could figure it out before we sent them to customers. So we packed them up here as if we were shipping them and observe, open the box as if they had been shipped and observe what's happening or they, is this working. We couldn't find a way that worked. So we came to the conclusion that it wasn't the shipping method, it must be the fish. So we treated each of those three tanks with something different to see if we could find a treatment that would solve the problem. We didn't have any success. Eventually, we treated one tank with levamisole, but in a high-dose levamisole, a, a different dose than is usually used. And what we found was a lot of the fish did not survive that treatment. But when they died, this massive parasite would be expelled. So they had some kind of parasite that was resistant, I don't know if it was resistant, that just was not uh, susceptible to mo most medicines uh, in normal doses. So we have since treated all of them to get rid of that parasite. The problem is that when you kill that parasite, it generally kills the fish as well because it's just traumatic internally for the fish when that parasite dies, it leaves a big wound and there, there's all these things. So I'm hopeful that the ones that have survived this whole horrible process uh, will get to the point where we can ship them. But right now that's where we're at. And I hate saying that, but I'll always be transparent with you guys. That's literally what happened. And, uh, but we did learn something. Now we know what that parasite is. It's a type of worm. We know it's not susceptible to levamisole at the normal dose, but it is at a, a different dose. And so I will try this fish again. And as soon as we get them in, I'll give them like 12 hours to kind of breathe and, and settle in. And then I'll treat them with levamisole because if we catch that early enough, and I'll just try a few of them. I'm, I'm not gonna bring in a big order. Let's try a few. If we catch that early enough, we might be able to treat that parasite before it gets in such numbers and stuff that, that the treatment itself will kill the fish. The parasite dying also kills the fish. So I'm not sure if that's possible. Um, it's obvious, these are all wild caught fish, so it's obviously something that's in their natural environment. Hopefully we're getting them soon enough after they're collected that those parasites have not replicated to an unnatural level and we can kill them off without killing the fish. So we'll try that and if that doesn't work then that's just not a fish we're going to be able to supply. So, or, or then I would work with the collector and say here's the issue, um, here's the medicine that we used at this dose that killed the parasite could you try a few on your end and see if they survive the treatment right after being collected? Maybe 
maybe that point they'll do better. So basically the longer that a fish is from the wild is in aquariums, in an artificial environment, without the parasite load being treated, the more dense that parasite load gets in the fish. Because in the wild, parasites reproduce, but there's a big waterway. With this fish, it's flowing, so the, the parasite sheds its eggs or whatever, and they get swept out on the current, and only a few of them infect the fish, right? Wild-caught fish have parasites, but they're in manageable, natural levels. They don't want to kill their host. The parasite wants to live, right? It just, it's this whole kind of balance. But you take that fish, you put it in an aquarium. Now it's in a confined space. The uh, parasite, because it's in a confined space, anytime the parasite reproduces, a large number of its offspring reinfect the host fish. And after a couple of cycles, that fish has just way more parasites in it than is natural. And when you treat them, it's a large die-off inside the fish, and that, that kills the fish. So that's where we're at. So maybe if we get it treated right at the saurus, maybe they would not have replicated so heavily, and maybe at that point we'll be successful. I, there's some things we can try, but this is going to be a long process, and I've been searching for that fish for ever since I heard about it, really. And that was the only group I'd ever seen available. And so I don't know when I'll have another try. But that's what happened. Wish I had a happier ending for you. Mountaintop Puffer Keeper. Your fish are by far the, by far the best. Your fish are by far the best I've received. It's hard to appreciate the time it takes to get healthy fish. A video showing a fish day one through any meds to bagging would be eye-opening. I almost did that. Uh, when I brought in the shipment from the Congo and they came in such bad shape, I thought it would be great if I could take video or pictures of them now versus, and then every week take another little segment and then show people the difference by the time we sold them because there's a massive difference. But I'm not at the point it's hard for me to take video <laughs> just for time. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to do that. I took some pictures when they first arrived and I was thinking, yeah, I'll show this process and just so much going on. I never got back to it, but I'd like to do that. And this is why, um, one day I hope to have a full-time videographer here in house so that we can take, advantage of those of the special opportunities we have in this business to show people things that they wouldn't otherwise see but there's a lot on my plate I'm doing more I'm trying to do more of that but it's it's hard need some help booch 56 regarding the rare pseudomugil types like novagenia and plutocult <laughs> I can't say it I can't say it. Pelucidus? Hang on. Did you spell that wrong? Why do I want to say Peluticola? Hang on. Let's look this up. Am I confusing this fish? Okay. Control F. That's the species name. They, they have what? Pseudo, pseudo. Oh, here it is. Pelucidus. Oh! 
Yeah, I know this fish, sorry. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> I'm tired on, on Wednesdays. Um, is there a specific time of year when they are more available? I guess it has to do with rainy season and dry season. So yeah, yeah, there would be a specific time, but it's more like, did the collector get out there? And when they did, were conditions right to actually catch the fish? But yeah, rainy season is pretty hard to catch some things because the waterways are swollen and you can't get to the fish. Everything's flooded. The Fish Guy 5 asks, can you get in red neon rasboras? Can you give me a scientific name? I'm not sure what uh, common names. The problem is you can have like 20 common names for a single fish. And so I'm not sure what red neon rasbora means. That might be what I call a chili rasbora or a mosquito rasbora or a Bridget's rasbora. Um, I'm not sure. Shady Grady, I have a 40-gallon display tank with Corys, a pair of Plecos, and six pork chop rasboras. The tank is off and on cloudy, and all parameters are perfect. Tried everything that I could think of. Is it green cloudy or is it white cloudy? Whichever cloudy it is, it's an imbalance in the ecosystem. If you get a boom of nutrients, free nutrients available, and plenty of light, you'll probably get algae because they're gonna take that energy from the light and turn those nutrients into new algae, right? They're gonna reproduce. If it's a white cloudiness, then it's probably extra nutrients and what you have is a bacterial population in that case that took over. So extra nutrients are in both cases. I don't know how long this tank has been um, running, but something's happening if it's been running for years and should be stable, then my guess is that something's happening in the maintenance. Maybe when you do a water change, uh, the water you put in is not gassed off and stable, and it's volatile enough that maybe it's killing off a good percentage of your uh, micro population, all your little protozoans and stuff, and those free nutrients cause a bacterial bloom or an algae bloom something's going on which is keeping the system from staying stable. I don't know what it is, but I would say in that case, pay attention to every time you get a bloom, is it on like a normal schedule? If so, does it match your water schedule? Does it match something else that happens to that tank on a schedule? Or when the cloudiness happens, think over the two weeks before it, what did I do to this tank? Did I do anything besides feed it? Um, did the sun change location? Is sunlight now shining directly on that tank? And it's getting a boost of light, so you're gonna get a boom of algae. I don't know what the issue is, I just know it's an imbalance, and the key to solving it is gonna be figuring out what sets off that imbalance. So, sorry, that's the best help I can be with the information I had there. Killers Aquatics and Exotics throwing down, we're gonna call it Pepe Longstocking. We have Pippi, this is Pepe. <laughs> Thanks, Killers Aquatics and Reptiles. Did I say any exotics and reptiles? Very generous super chat, Bob. Thank you so much for all you do. I seriously feel like anytime my moderators give us super chats, it's wonderful, thank you, but I always feel like I should be giving you guys super chats because you're working. <laughs> like all the effort and time 
that, that you guys take to make this stream healthy, uh, the chat flow nicely, is much appreciated. So I always feel like I should be paying you guys. So thank you so much. Much appreciated and super generous of you to give your time, your expertise, and your money. Thanks, Bob. Xana Dudu, speaking of generous, Friday the 13th Pizza Fund. All right, Johnny. All right, Random Arms. We're going to eat again. <laughs> Thank you, Xana Dudu. Seriously, much. it was so nice to be able to bring lunch in for everybody today after, you know, several days of long days of packing and just say like, all right, let's all just chill out and eat together. That was very nice. So thank you. 824. Okay. We're going to do the giveaway because I've got to get over to Brenda's channel at 830. Let me share that link with you folks. All right. Here is the link. That's my wife, Brenda. Um, and in five minutes, she'll be singing Edelweiss. It's just a few minutes. If you like that kind of thing, you're invited to join me there at the end of this stream. There is a link to it if you want to join me. And now that that's in the, eth in the uh, ether, let's do the giveaway. So the winner of some sparkling garamis, also called pygmy garamis, out of three, 237 eligible entries is Jeffrey Watts. Jeffrey Watts, thanks for being a subscriber since April of 2020. That's a good long time. Thank you so much. Thanks for the support and congratulations on winning. As you know, you have two minutes to claim your winnings. You do that by posting a message in the chat. It can be anything, but you got to post something in chat in the next two minutes to let us know that you're here, because you do have to be present to win. If you don't post in the next two minutes, you forfeit your winnings and we'll draw somebody else. While we're waiting to see if Jeffrey shows up, let's get to another question or comment. Can you get any kitty tetras? We can, Jacob, but they're fairly common and I don't know if it makes sense for me to bring those in. Tetras are funny. Sometimes we bring some tetras in and it's like, hey, they sold really well. And then other times we bring Tetras in and like we've been, we've brought those phantom Tetras. We've got black phantoms, red phantoms, and yellow phantoms. Awesome fish, doing great, super healthy, tough as nails, really pretty. But we've had them since June and we still haven't sold out of them. Why? Because they're an inexpensive fish you can get at your local big box store. So. I understand it, it does, but it, what it does mean is I have to be careful before um, I bring in a fish that anyone can get anywhere for a really cheap price. Jeffrey Watts says, I'm here, just pulled up to the house. Well, congratulations, Jeffrey. You've won some sparkling garamis, the glitter bomb in the fish world. If you would please send an email to hello at dancefish.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. We need your first name, your last name, and your mailing address so we know who we're sending the package to and where to send it. And Johnny will work with you to uh, get a, a shipping plan, a shipping date set. Thanks for participating and congratulations on winning. Last thing before we close down here is Coral Works says, it's too bad you can't do video calls with this fish vet. I can, and uh, I can do phone calls as well. The problem is they can't physically examine the fish. And 
if you're talking about a physical examination, just looking at the fish, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. I've seen a lot of ailments over the years, a lot of symptoms, a lot of white spots, a lot of torn fins, a lot of slimy white patches, you know, all the, all the symptoms that we see. The problem is you can't diagnose based on those. Any of those symptoms could be caused by multiple issues. So the vet has to actually physically examine the fish. Uh, we might need to do a histology, which is where a lab looks at the fish and, and determines through various tests what the actual organism causing the issue is. Um, that's the only way to really diagnose what's going on. So I can do phone calls and video calls with, with my veterinarian. Um, we've chatted often, but there's not much they can do unless they have the fish in their hot little hands and there's no one locally to do that. So, so that's the problem. Anyways, I'm going to head over to listen to my wife sing. Before I do, I want to thank my moderators for being here and doing what they do. Thank you so much. I know I say the same thing every week, but I just want you to know I mean that. It, it, it means a lot to me that you do that. To our members, thanks for being members of the Fishmonger crew. Your support helps. And I'm just glad that people find the value in this, that they want to be a member. That just tickles me pink. So thank you. Everyone that left us super chats, thanks for throwing money on the table. Much appreciated. Everyone that had a question or comment, thanks for participating and making this lively. If you are lurking, hail the Lurker Nation. If you are listening on the replay, well, hello from the past. And if you're listening on the podcast, thanks for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I hope you have a good one. I'm going to head over and listen to Brenda sing. Maybe I'll see you there. Bye-bye.